Hey guys, um, uh, on all of your tables, you'll find this little handout here uh, describing the events of the missions conference, which starts a week from tonight. Um, you, you see that it has to do with understanding Islam and responding to the gospel. You, you might remember about 18 months ago, I did this thing about is the God of Christianity, the God of Islam, the same God. And, you know, I was shocked um, at the turnout uh, and the interest that people had in that subject. Um, very surprised, very taken aback. Uh, but things certainly haven't gotten any better uh, over this whole issue of Islam. And, and um, so we're, uh, Jonathan's brainchild is to, uh, is to confront it head on and see how we can, might be useful to God in, in uh, being a part of the solution in terms of advancing the gospel in that world as opposed to retreating. So that's uh, starting next uh, Wednesday night. I hope you'll uh, be a part. I think it's a, a great interest and a, a big topic of um, importance. Now, go back with me to Galatians chapter 4. <clears throat> Galatians 4, and let me read to you, uh, just by way of reminder, the text that we looked at last week, and um, remind you of some things I said and try to explain a couple of things. Here we go. Um, verse 29, but just as at that time he who was born according to the flesh persecuted him who was born according to the Spirit, so also it is now. Um, what I pointed out last week is that uh, Ishmael doesn't like Isaac. Uh, sons of flesh don't like sons of promise. Um, and the persecution, as Paul says, uh, those, that, that last little clause there, so also it is now. Um, Isaac still doesn't like, I mean, uh, Ishmael still doesn't like Isaac. And if you are a child of the promise, if you are one who has embraced the Savior by faith, you are a, um, you're an Isaac, a 21st century Isaac, and 21st century Ishmael doesn't like you and persecute you, as Paul says, as it is now. Now, guys, last week I said something about uh, persecution being um, um, a species and suffering being the genus, that is, the larger category is suffering. And um, persecution is just one of the subsets underneath the whole idea of suffering. And so what I want to try to do as we begin tonight is that I want to explain to you, or try to, why I'm inserting this little series um, as we really kind of depart from the text itself um, why I'm inserting this series about suffering here, now. Why, why, why do this here, Jimmy? Well, let me, let me give you two reasons. One, of course, is the fact that, as, as, as you see, uh, Paul raises the issue of pain. Um, it has to do with persecution. But as I said last week, that's just a subset of the larger genus of suffering. He mentions persecution. Anyway, so that's one of the reasons that I inserted here, but there's a, there's a bigger reason, guys, and um, uh, this is the main reason, the main reason that I want to I wanna put this in now. Um, gang, hopefully you followed at least a little bit of this, but the book of Galatians, one of the primary themes of the book of Galatians is this contrast that he's making between a son and a slave. Um, are you a son or a slave? A son or a slave? And, and then, of course, you, you come to this little passage that we started back in verse 24 about 
uh, Hagar and Sarah. The whole image of son and slave is advanced. Chapter 3 is pretty much dominated by that question, are you a son or a slave? And then, of course, you come over to chapter 4, and then he uses this unbelievable um, allegorical um, but he takes an Old Testament story and trans- or interprets it allegorically. But the point is the same. Do you see yourself as a son, daughter, child of God, or do you see yourself as a slave? Gang, um, that whole motif is one of the, the, the primary uh, themes of the, of, of the entire book. Now, I am not suggesting that I think that suffering was at the forefront of Paul's mind as he was writing this. But he does mention it. He mentions it in verse 29. He he points out, he talks to you about persecution. So, um, here's my point. Um, Interestingly, I think, how you answer that question... That is, am I a son or a slave? How you answer that has great bearing on how you respond to pain. I'm going to show you that tonight, guys. Um, I would even assert that the primary determinant factor in how you deal with your own pain or in the midst of your own suffering, how you respond is going to be influenced by how you define yourself as a, as a slave or a son. Um, the whole idea of, is this God my father? Um very important. And I'm telling you, not many of us grasp that very well. That is, God being my father. But I'm, I'm going to explain that more in a, in a few minutes. Guys, it was, the, it, was a, it was Paul who wrote the book of Galatians. I think you know that. But it was also Paul who wrote that statement in Romans 8, verse 22, where he says, the whole creation groans. The whole creation groans groaning under the weight of the entrance of sin, and everything in creation is influenced and is impacted by the entrance of sin. The whole world groans. And so this Paul, who writes that, the whole world groans, also writes verse 29, reminding you that because you're an Isaac, you can expect persecution from Ishmael. And I'm saying that the theme of the book son-slave, slave-son, is the determining factor as to how you're going to respond to your own individual, familial, parental, individual, personal pain. And I want to explain that. All right? First of all, let me do this. When Paul wrote Romans or Galatians, Paul would have been aware, um, I I don't know how many uh, he would have been aware of, but he would have been aware of at least this one, um, this, this, this worldview and its view on suffering. 
You've heard of stoicism, I think. Um, You've heard of being a stoic. Well, stoicism is even mentioned in the New Testament. He would have been aware that 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 was one possible um, option for you as you uh, faced your own pain. And you you know how a stoic was told to, to face his pain. Uh, Stoicism simply said, uh, as you, I mean, you know the word, being a Stoic. Um, Stoicism would say, and by the way, that's a philosophical position. That's not just a a newspaper word. It's a a philosophical position that you can look up and read about uh, on um, the internet, which I did. Um, But Stoicism said, basically, when it came to your own pain, embrace it. Um, People, nobility, and and, um, elevated thought, uh, simply looks at pain and says, I'm going to endure this. Uh, Stuff happens. This is just life. You you can be set free by what they called um, apathia. Does that sound like a word that you know? (laughs) It's the English word apathy. It's a word that means... um, no passion. Um, so when you've got pain, just embrace it. Keep a stiff upper lip. You need to exercise apathia. Um, eliminate those passions. Because stuff happens in life. You know, you might as well just uh, get used to it. Um, but if you will... If you will learn how to master apathia, it'll lead you to a peace of mind in the midst of your suffering. And then you, of course, turn to a a passage like John 11, where Lazarus has died, and you see Jesus responding, how? (laughs) He weeps. Completely completely, um, unlike this. That was one worldview that Paul certainly would have, would have known about. I'm not sure he would have known about these, these other ones, but we're going to mention them. Um, Buddhism um, was another world, or is another worldview, and it has a certain, certainly has a, um, a um, suggestions or a, a group of suggestions as to how you're supposed to handle your suffering. Um, they talk about the four noble truths. Buddhism does. The first noble truth is that suffering exists. And the, um, the, the second noble truth is that, that it comes from um, our attachment to desires. Because we have desires, um, uh, we are subject to, to suffering. <clears throat> so they say, <clears throat> so Buddhism says, if you will follow the eightfold path, you will arrive at nirvana. Which means that there is no more pain. If you, will arrive, if you will follow the, the Eightfold Path, you will arrive at the end of your suffering. Um, if you were enlightened, says Buddhism, you'd see this. You just need to follow the Eightfold Path, and it'll take you to nirvana, and that'll, that'll eliminate your pain. <clears throat> then then the, a, third, um, a third worldview, um, Hinduism. Uh, I like this one. Um, Hinduism is very judicial because it says if you're suffering, 
you're suffering because you were a bad boy in a previous life and that you're just being paid off for the bad things that you did in the previous life. Don't you like that? I mean, isn't that precise? I mean, um, don't talk about uh, this being undeserved. Don't talk about it being unfair. The issue is you did something in a a, a previous life, and now you're you're suffering for it. Um, That's that's how you you approach your your problems. Uh, You deserve what you're getting. It is fair. Um, and, and if you will just control your own senses and be your own savior, you'll um, face your own sufferings and, and conquer them. <clears throat> now, guys, the reason I've, I've done this is that in the face of those three worldviews and how they approach suffering into that world, comes Christianity. And Christianity's view, Christianity's, um, I hate to call it a view, um, method, approach, Christianity comes along and and, um, offers the world a whole new view, a whole new way of looking at suffering. In fact, ladies and gentlemen, most people would say that the reason that Christianity spread so rapidly in the early centuries was because of her view of suffering and the, and the way that they uh, approached it. Uh, for instance, um, in the face of uh, Buddhism, um, Christianity said, there's never going to be a time that you're ever going to come to nirvana and be rid of pain. Pain is real and it is a permanent fixture in the, in the whole created order. So whereas this, you know, follow the eightfold path and you'll, you know, come to nirvana, Christianity said, no. Suffering is, is a result of a fallen world. It's a, it's a result of the entrance of sin. It's never going to, you're never going to be in a nirvanic uh, state of, uh, or state in any way. <clears throat> um, by the way, um, uh, Hinduism talks a whole lot about karma, and, and that um, that bad karma that you got because of those bad things that you did um, um, in, in a previous life. Well, Christianity comes along and says that suffering is real, and um, and it's often um, not 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 fair. Like Hinduism says, Hinduism says because you did something bad in a previous life, you're getting what, what you deserve. Christianity said, no, 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 there's lots of times where, where, where suffering is completely unfair. <clears throat> and then in terms of Stoicism, um, the whole idea of, you know, keep the stiff upper lip and, uh, you know, just uh, um, grin and bear it and all... Um, Christianity said that the human thing to do is to cry. Um, gang, take a look at the Psalms and watch the author of the Psalms. And, and, and in all those laments that you find in the Psalms. So in, in the face of these options offered by a, a, a godless world, 
Christianity marches in and says, we got a whole other view. Let, let me tell you one more that, that Paul wouldn't have known about, and I'm not sure he knew about these other two. I do know he know, knew about that one, but let me tell you about another one. Um, guys, if you've never read any books by Paul Brand, you probably ought to pick up one and read them. Uh, uh, this is a book called Pain, the Gift That Nobody Wants. Paul Brand was a, um, is a doctor. I think he's still alive, uh, but he, he dealt with um, leprosy in India, I think. But when he came back to the United States and uh, he started a leprosy clinic in, in um, Louisiana, but when he came back to the United States, um, practicing medicine here was altogether different than practicing medicine in, in India, as you can well imagine. <clears throat> but the one thing that he, the, the one observation that he made that is so poignant is that he said that the Western secular culture offers you less resources to deal with suffering than anything there is, than any culture that he had ever seen. He says the pain in India is greater. The resources, I mean, the, um, the medicines are, are less abundant. But Indians are better equipped to deal with pain and suffering than we are. And he goes on to explain it like this. He said, in the Western secular culture, we're told um, that this is all there is. And so you've got you've to find your joy right here and now. Um, don't be talking about later, because there is no later. You've got to find your, 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 your joy right here. And into that culture, ladies and gentlemen, Christianity comes and says, oh no. In fact, Christianity says just the opposite. You need to fix your attention on that which is heavenly. The, 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 the secular culture says, don't think of the, the, anything later. There is no later. And Christianity comes in and says, our citizenship is in heaven. Guys, I'm, I'm, only, I'm only trying to point out this. That Christianity offers an entirely different view of Stoicism, Buddhism, Hinduism, and, and secularism. Secularism says that you've got to find joy here or you're never going to get it. And then I don't know what they do when they get cancer. But a, in opposition to that, Christianity stands and says... You've got to fix your attention on that which comes later. Gang, that is antithetical to this culture. The way that Christianity offers you to approach and deal and, 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 and handle your suffering is, is, a, is antithetical to everything that the culture stands for. Now, with that said, let me go back to this whole Son-slave idea. Um, <clears throat> guys. <clears throat> Most people, and, and even Christians, we don't, we don't do real well with this whole idea that God is a father to us. We think of God more like a boss. He's our boss. Um, 
Now, l- l- let, me, let, me, let me just tell you what a boss does. Many of you are bosses. You know what you do. You, you, um, you say to your employees, um, um, here's things I'm, that I want you to do. Here's a job assignment. Here's some uh, quotas. Um, here's your job. Now, you go out there and do it. And in exchange for you performing that way, I will give you wages and benefits. Now, you might even like the boss. But ultimately, the relationship is quid pro quo. So this for that. And that's the way we view God as a boss. And then... Suffering strikes. Um, and and here's, here's, here's how we respond. Well, wait a minute now. I'm leading a good life. And where are my benefits? Where are my wages? You know, the boss... He's just not making good on his end of the bargain. He owes me. <clears throat> I, 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 I worked for him. I've worked hard. And I've kept my nose clean. I've been faithful to my wife. I give money to that church. And, 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 and this is how he pays me? So when you view God as your boss, or you work for him, or you're a slave. When something painful strikes, first of all, you're infuriated. You're disillusioned. And we're overthrown by it. But, If you see yourself as a son, God is your father. How does a father respond to a child in pain? You know, <clears throat> I'm a father. Um, and let's just say that one of my daughters was acting like a little jackass all day. And then she falls off her bicycle and skins up her knee. What do I do? I go to her and I say, well, you know, I'd like to hug on you right now. But I mean, you know what you did this morning. I mean, you have been one bad girl and you didn't finish your your Cheerios. And I'm really ticked with you and so... Tough. And I go back in the house. Is that what I do? How does a father respond to a child that's in pain? Your child wakes up at 3 a.m. in the morning and screaming, scared, and petrified something. And what do you do? 
Turn on your sound machine? Or do you run? Do you run to the child that's in pain? You see, children can't fully comprehend what, what the father is up to. I, you know, the, the father is always saying, don't do that, don't put that in your mouth, put that down, don't throw that in the house. But the father... Um, um, the father consoles his child. Um, who is the very same child I'm in the midst of disciplining. In, my, in the midst of my administering discipline to the child, and my child is in pain, I still console. Don't I? Don't you? And in the midst of that, I know. I know that he loves me. Because, you see, I'm a son. Not an employee. He's not my boss. He's my father in heaven. Guys, I'm telling you, that whole motif in the book of Galatians between son and slave, I think is the... It's not the only factor, but I think it's the, it's the majority factor in how, in how we respond in the midst of our own pain. And I'm telling you, we don't respond very well, do we? Now, if I'm right, and this slave-son thing is the most important factor, then what does that tell us about us? tells us that we don't know much about a father. We know more about quid pro quos than we do about grace. Guys, we may not know the reason why we're suffering. But we know what the reason isn't for our suffering. We're suffering, but it's not because he hates me. It's not because he's mad at my performance. You know, guys, um, when you're in the midst of times where you have no answers for your questions... The promises of God are still true. And they're still there. And they're offered to every child. I'll tell you a story that I heard somebody else tell. It's about Jim Elliott. I think most of you know Jim Elliott, um, the shadow of the Almighty. Um, Elizabeth Elliott, his wife, is, gosh, I think she has lost three husbands. She lost. Her first husband, Jim Elliott, was a missionary to the Yauka Indians in South America. And um, the night, uh, you might have heard the story, they, the Yauka Indians speared all five of them to death. And um, the, night before they went, the night before they were murdered, the night before they were killed, they all got together, all five couples, all ten of them, got together and worshipped together, and they sang a song 
that had this line in it. We rest on thee, our shield and our defender. And the next day they went out and were murdered. Ladies and gentlemen, in the midst of that, if your faith disintegrates, then at least part of the reason is that sonship is a foreign concept to you. You know, um, for us, if something goes wrong, we look for somebody to blame or somebody to sue. Why is that? Well, it's because we believe that it's normal for things to go right. And, and it's abnormal for things to go wrong. So if something goes wrong, we've got to look for somebody to blame or sue, and that often is God. We're victims, and he's being a very unfair boss. Christianity says just the opposite. It says things fall apart. Um, entropy, second law of thermodynamics. If you'd like a classic illustration of that, the truth of that, just go look in the mirror. All of us. And you say, oh no, what's happening here? Instead of saying it's normal for things to go right, If something goes right, it's because God has seen fit to bless it. And so I must track him down and praise him for what he's done. Uh, Guys, last Saturday night, my wife and I went to my 50th high school reunion. I don't do reunions. I've never done a reunion. Uh, I wouldn't have gone to this one. Um, But... The, the organizing committee of the high school reunion um, sent a delegation, made an appointment with me on a Thursday afternoon to come see me and ask me to be there because I was the resident holy guy and, and I'm supposed to, you know, sprinkle some holy water on the thing and make it, make it a nice night. They asked me to pray. So I went home and I said to my wife, I don't want to go to that thing. To top it all off, they charged me $120 for that privilege. <laughs> 60 bucks a plate I paid for, you know, so that, and they, but I told my wife, I didn't want to go to this thing. You know, I don't want to go. I've never been to those things. It's just, I don't want to live in the past. I want to live, you know. And my wife looked at me and she said, we're going. <laughs> and that was the end of that. Uh, <clears throat> so last Saturday night, um, we showed up. I played completely by the rules. They told me to get there at 6. I got there at 6. And after you checked in, um, after you checked in, about the first thing I, I came upon in our reunion was this big board. And on this board was 78 pictures out of a graduating class of 411. 
78 pictures of people who were dead. That's the first thing I saw. <laughs> I used to date her. She's dead. <clears throat> I thought, whoa. And, and then, of course, you know, the girl that I, I mean, I was the student government president of my senior class. I ran against a girl. Her name is Marie Cobb. Nice girl. Nice woman. She came up to me and she's had a stroke. And she mumbled out, I'm the woman you beat in the government. And I said, oh, I'm sorry. (laughs) I didn't mean to win. But guys, um, my good health is not normal. My good health and yours is a gift. And you know where you got it? Spend some time before you go to bed tonight praising him. I got more to say, but we'll have to do it next week. Our Father, I do pray that you'll remind your people that we live in a fallen world that has been ravaged by the entrance of sin and that if anything ever goes right, it's because you've made it possible. That things going right is abnormal. Things going wrong is normal. And though we do not understand some of the things that you're up to, you are oh so quick and ready to console even the suffering child. Um, it's that, it's that father-son relationship that makes suffering possible, doable, successful, standable, endurable. And Father, if, you've, if some of your people here tonight have, have slandered you by thinking of you more as a boss, would you adjust their thinking? Would you cause them to see the great beauty of being a son or a daughter of our Father who is in heaven? We love you, Lord God. We are sorry we love you so little. But would you grant us grace that we might love you more? We pray, of course, in Jesus' name. Amen.